First question to this, if it's bad to boast, then why does James 1.9 seem to allow it? Uh, this is another one of those questions that I don't know where it came up in the life of our church, but someone's got a question. Bring it on. It's great. It's a great little question. It's, a, it's an interesting verse. It says, Believers who are poor have something to boast about, for God has honoured them. And those who are rich should boast that God has humbled them. They will fade away like a little flower in the field. So therefore, you've got to say that it is okay to boast. But under certain circumstances, uh, it depends what you're boasting in and uh, who you're boasting about. So if you look at this verse, it'll say that poor Christians can boast that God has honoured them. So those who are humble have been lifted up. And those who are rich can boast that God has humbled them. We can boast, of course, but what we're boasting in, what we're rejoicing in in that sense, is, is God and what he's done for us, not what we've done ourselves. Another question about something, and that is Jonah. Do Jonah's words sabotage God's prophecy to destroy Nineveh? Well, at the start of the book of Jonah, God says to Jonah, go to the city of Nineveh and announce my judgment. Finally, he gets there through some nautical adventures. And when he gets there, he shouts to the crowd, 40 days from now, Nineveh will be destroyed. He tells them that God plans to wipe them out. And then what happens? Chapter 3, verse 5. The people of Nineveh believed God's message, and from the greatest to the least, they declared a fast and put on burlap or sackcloth to show their, their sorrow. So God says, I am going to judge you. And what do they do? They say, we repent. God had anger towards them, but because they repented, that this happened. And we read in verse 10, When God saw what they'd done and how they put a stop to their evil ways, he changed his mind. Notice that? He changed his mind and did not carry out the destruction he had threatened. There are a few bits in the Bible where we see that God changes his mind, when he seems to react to humankind. It's a bit of an interesting theological question there about exactly how that's, how that's true because God is in control of everything. Everything is sovereign. And yet at the same time, it, it seems that, well, he, he says to us that, that he reacts to what we do. Now, that's another one of those, ah, how can they both be true? How do they fit together stuff? Well, just believe it's true. It's good news because it means that when we pray, God hears us and we are led to believe in his word that he will answer our prayers and that will lead him to hear us and act accordingly. And I think it's a great relief that we can just keep praying for our friends. Please follow Jesus. And uh, they may well ever be like those in Nineveh. And I think it gives us heart as we go about our evangelism. Question three. Should single Christians be encouraged to get married? Well, here's what the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 7. But I wish everyone were single, just as I am. Yet each person has a special gift from God of one kind or another. So I say to those who aren't married and to widows, it's better to stay unmarried just as I am. When you read this verse, it, we're reading here that if you're single, you've got a gift and you have a special opportunity to be able to serve God. And if you get married, you lose that gift. And instead, you'll have different opportunities to serve and more responsibilities, of course. 
it's worth noting that the Bible speaks very positively of marriage, and God actually gives us a whole book of the Bible, the Song of Songs, which is all about sex and marriage, mainly sex. But marriage is only temporary, because we're going to be single in heaven. Interesting, isn't it? But read this follow-on verse in verse, verse 9. But if they can't control themselves, they should go ahead and marry. It's better to marry than to burn with lust. So it's okay to marry. It's okay to not marry. But I think we need to definitely hear what he said a few verses before, that it is a gift to us to have people in our church who are single. If you are single, it is a gift to you. And we love you as you are a single person. We love you if you're married. We love you if you're a widow. And the church is for us all. Question four. Should married Christians be encouraged to have children? I think that's one of the main reasons that God gives us marriage and sex. It's for having children. I don't think this is the sort of discussion we would have had 100 years ago before of all of the developments in the contraception. Uh, without reliable contraception, you're probably not saying, I wonder if we're going to choose to have children or not. Chances are you probably would end up having them. It is true that a married couple can have more time to serve God if they don't have kids, but if that's the primary reasoning, then there's a good argument to say maybe singleness is what you should be pursuing, unless you're already married. But I think... It's, it's worth realising that marriage is about uh, the direction towards having children. That, that's naturally where it is. And so when, when I conduct a marriage service, there's a bit at the front that, that talks specifically about this. And then there's a prayer that's so that the couple will have children. But remember in all of this that there are always married couples who don't have kids because they're unable to conceive. Uh, this can be a heartbreaking thing. And we need to show love and care to married couples who are struggling with infertility. And in all of this, I also want to say that we love our intergenerational church because when we come together here, we have lots and lots of grandparents and lots and lots of children and lots and lots of parents. Uh, you may not have a good relationship with your parents or your grandchildren or your gra grandparents or whoever. But in this room right here, we have been brought together to be a big family. I, I um, didn't plan to say this, but I, st I remember still when there was a, a time when one of my kids had a, uh, an accident and, and, uh, and I was a little bit upset when, when a tooth got really wobbly and cracked and we were right in the middle of, at the end of church after dinner and I just went, oh no, it's got to get pulled out. And I was just, you know, dad being a little bit upset. And one of the, the mums who was, you know, and she's now grandma age, so she's about 20 or so years older than me, she sat me down, she patted my hand and, and just gave me that word of assurance that I sort of needed from a mum. She was kind of right there for me. And it was beautiful. I was, I was she said, it's going to be okay, Jody. These things happen. The Lord's in control, isn't he? I said, Rhonda, yes, he is. And it was a beautiful gift right there at that moment. We have this as a congregation. So let's, let's love each other in that way. Because here you get lots of extra grandparents. And grandparents get lots of extra grandkids. And parents get wise Christian parents and more kids to look after and all of that as well. Two questions to come. How can we know that the resurrection is true? We can know that the resurrection is true because the Bible says it is. The Bible tells us that the risen Christ was seen by lots and lots of people. Have a look at 1 Corinthians 15. He was buried and he was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the scriptures said. He was seen by Peter and then by the twelve. And after that, he was seen by more than 500 of his followers at one time, most of whom are still alive. Go and ask them, though some have died. 
Then he was seen by James and later by all the apostles. And last of all, as though I had been born at the wrong time, I, the Apostle Paul, also saw him. The Bible makes it very, very clear. Jesus really, really did rise from the dead. No doubt. Absolutely none at all. It can be hard to believe because we don't often see dead people come back to life. The Bible says it's true. But how do we know that the Bible actually is true? That the Bible actually is history? Well, historians believe that Jesus of Nazareth really existed and that he lived and he died on a Roman cross and he started a movement of followers. If someone says to you, Jesus never lived, then they're either being dishonest or they're not very smart. Because, like, take for example this. You go to the Oxford Dictionary of World History. Okay, pretty respected book. It's not going to have fairy tales in it. You go and look up Jesus Christ. There are 347 words written on this one entry all about this man of history. He's a historical figure. And because so much hinges on the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, that is one of the reasons that people try to discredit the fact. But when you look at it without bias, as many have, you'll see that the resurrection of Jesus from the dead is the most plausible reality. I'm more than happy to talk more about that with you if you'd like to chat or have a follow-up question. And finally, this question. This is a fun question. What would you say to someone who said that Christians are gullible? I wonder if someone's asked you that question before. I wonder if you've answered that question to someone before. Well, I'd assume that what they mean is that they think that Christians are silly or stupid to believe the Bible and to follow what it says about Jesus. I think that's what's behind the question. Well, one option is to say something like this, maybe. Well, I think you're gullible for believing that God didn't create you and the universe and that somehow you've just evolved out of nothing and that you exist for no reason other than to become fertiliser in a graveyard. I think you're gullible for listening to the people who say that the Bible isn't true. And if you're not gullible, then you'll read the Bible for yourself and consider the claims of Jesus yourself. Because otherwise you're just as gullible as you think I am. You may not want to go down that tack. You can choose that. But what we believe is reasonable. It's wise. It's good. We believe our creator made us and he made us to know him and to love him. And in the scriptures, we meet him. And that is what we have as a certain hope. And above all, as they ask the question, pray for them. Keep the conversation going. Invite them to church. Maybe even you might have had that conversation. You Maybe even you're here having had that conversation with someone. And it's so good that you're here. Thanks for listening to Jamaloo and the Lane Trip.